Welcome to Prajna Spark's special series, 59 Days of Healing, where we explore one maxim from the Tibetan Lojong text, seven points for healing dualistic mind each day to integrate the practice into our lives. Today is day 52.7 tips. Maxim 52 reads, avoid what is misguided. That sounds sensible. What does the misguided mean here? Avoid what is misguided does not mean just anything that's generally misguided. Specifically, six misguided things. Ways of being involved with the Dharma that can go awry, even with good intentions. Let's look at the kinds of misguided acts we're talking about here. First is misguided patience endurance, forbearance, generosity of spirit, lots of bigness. And misguided patience is having all of that attitude, that magnanimity towards things like competing with your adversaries at work, being zealously protective of your loved ones, even to the point of jealousy or overprotectiveness, knocking yourself out more than is necessary at work, in excess, spending your time pursuing advancement and more and more money, more and more fame, more and more reputation, and at the same time, having no tolerance for the difficulties and hardships associated with engaging the Dharma. So simply put, misguided patience is about enduring discomfort when it comes to worldly things, but not being able to tolerate even a fraction of that discomfort in the context of Dharma practice. What's misguided about that from a Dharma perspective is fairly clear. It puts all of our energy, our time, and a disproportionate amount of our lives towards advancing worldly concerns rather than developing ourselves in our Dharma practice, healing, transforming, and transcending. This is a very common thread for the remaining five of these misguided ways of being. Let's turn to the second one misguided inspiration is quite similar. We are caught up with the comforts and indulgences that worldly life can bring. Prettier house, better clothes, a new car, and we lack inclination for practicing dharma with authenticity. There's not a lot more to say about that. Next is misguided taste. We have a healthy appetite for entertainment, enjoyments, these kinds of ways to pass time and enjoy ourselves in worldly ways, but very meager taste for the core practices of Dharma, particularly listening, contemplating, and meditating, which is the Buddha's contemplative technology for integrating the Dharma. It's misguided because we have an overly tilted emphasis on the enjoyments in worldly life instead of the enjoyments that come from dharma. Next comes misguided compassion, which is the fourth in this list. 
This is an interesting one. Misguided compassion is directed at folks who engage in Dharma practice or who we think of as nice people, good people. Very often, there are groups that are on the side of me as dualistic mind sees the world, the us side of the equation. But then those on the them side, folks that engage in misconduct, disagree with us, are just plain ornery in our mind. We don't find in our hearts a way to have compassion for them. This is common in areas of political disagreement, vilifying folks who don't agree with us. It extends even to the point of not being able to connect with our own very human, natural wellsprings of compassion. So misguided compassion means having compassion for those on the us side of things, those who are engaged in Dharma practice and may encounter difficulties, but not for those on the them side of things or people who engage in misconduct, people we disagree with. This is misguided because compassion knows no conditions in the true nature of our mind. It is only dualistic mind that sets up compartments where some people get to have the compassion and others don't. The next is misguided guidance, the guidance that we share with others. Most of us are in a situation where somebody or another will come to us for advice or just need a shoulder to cry on. And misguided guidance means that we encourage folks in worldly priorities but we don't provide guidance in advancing their humanity. This is a tricky one. It's clear why you would want to be expansive, not focus only on worldly concerns, but also broader concerns, not just Dharma issues, but their growth as a person. At the same time, it can be misguided to overextend ourselves put ourselves in a position of authority that we simply don't have on either worldly or broader levels. This way of being misguided is about leading others astray or not actually providing support for others in ways that go beyond mundane activities. And the last of the six is misguided rejoicing. This is The practice of rejoicing, taking joy in the goodness of others. This practice of rejoicing has got to be one of my favorites. I'm basically a lazy person, and there's nothing I like more than a practice that takes almost nothing to do and feels great. Rejoicing is something you can do all the time. Every time somebody has wonderful experiences, accomplishes something great, does something even tiny, that's wonderful for themselves or others, we can rejoice. In the teachings, it's said that by rejoicing, we actually share in the positivity, the goodness of whatever they did. Misguided rejoicing consists of taking pleasure in misfortunes rather than celebrating virtuous, wholesome activity that actually helps individuals heal, transform, and transcend dualistic mind. 
Here, the rejoicing is similar to an earlier maxim, looking for perks in others' tragedies. Misguided rejoicing will be taking joy when people we don't like, our rivals, our exes, everybody on that them side of the equation encounters misfortune. Rejoicing is powerful, even when the rejoicing is in the pleasure of those we're not so crazy about. These are the six ways that are highlighted because of their immediate relevance. We don't need to stop at those six. You can get the picture from these six ways of being misguided that we want to avoid and extend that same kind of principle to other ways of being a Dharma practitioner, a human, a being in the world. This is one of those four-word maxims that has an awful lot behind that. My goodness. I have lots of thoughts because there's lots of material here, but I'll note that it's clear that the thing all of these have in common is trying to steer us away from focusing too much on worldly uh, activities and notions and directing our energy more toward the Dharma. I was sort of thinking it's like shopping for just the right um, poster with the saying on it that makes you feel good about the Dharma is not maybe as authentic Dharma practice as actually doing the meditation, right? That that it's sort of, we have ways that we can engage with these ideas and activities and things in the world. And that's not the best use of our Dharma energy. It would be better not to have our house decorated at all with, uh, with prayer flags if we were actually doing the practice. Is that right? That's a very strong thread, the worldly versus Dharma thread. But it's actually even a little more challenging. It's not saying live in a dump, but it's saying how much of your time is spent on decorating your house as opposed to beautifying your mind? How much of the time are you posting pictures of your decorated house on Instagram instead of beautifying your mind? Then there's also the other thread, which is prominent here, the ways we can be misguided because we have a division of how we behave towards those on the us side as opposed to the them side of the equation, and also the ways we embody our relationships with others. I think if I had to pinpoint one thing, these six ways of being misguided are about where we identify. Do we identify solely in worldly things in a disproportionate way? Do we identify with Dharma things in an inauthentic way? Do we identify as someone who is a champion for everybody on the me side of the equation, but pushes away everybody else? Or is the way we inhabit our life one that's a lot more multidimensional? We can take pleasure in having a lovely home without it taking over our life to the extent that we then have no time to practice dharma, to develop a meditation practice and so forth. We can find ways to open our hearts 
to have compassion and rejoicing for folks who maybe we don't like so much. We can be mindful of the ways that we step into our power to guide others when they look to us for advice and not overstep our authority and also not underdo our ability to extend support for them beyond just the mundane things that happen in life. And of course, you know that you can't talk about political discord without me having something to say about that, since that's so much of where my work is these days. What you were talking about with the misguided compassion and vilifying people who don't agree with us, something we're seeing so much is that polarization isn't just about disagreeing about an issue. It's about how we feel about the people who have another perspective on that issue. And actually, there's a growing literature on affective polarization, which is really that feeling of hatred toward people who are on the other side or who we perceive to be on the other side. And that's actually creating so much of the stress and distress around political polarization these days is is that feeling about people on the other side. So I appreciate you bringing that into the Dharma context. I knew you weren't going to be able to resist that bait. Let's look at that polarization and even affective polarization. Where does that come from? It's right in that word. Polar means dual, two ends. Here's the me side, the us side, and there's the them side. Where does that dualistic projection come from? This idea of there's a self and everything associated with a self, and then anything not associated is other. As soon as we think self, there is no way to avoid other. Where does that come from? from the misguided idea that we are a truly existent, lasting, single, autonomous entity, rather than opening up to the fullness of our experience as completely interconnected with all beings, with the environment, with the universe at large. This is how huge this is. So this misguidance that we're talking about here is about how we identify, how we polarize around this idea that just shatters a smooth, continuous fabric into shards that are sharp, pointed, and harmful to our mind. This has been Yeshe and Tanya. On day 52 of Prajna Spark's special series, 59 Days of Healing. Tune in daily for more maxims from the Tibetan Lojong text, Seven Points for Healing Dualistic Mind. Check the episode notes for more resources. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Prajna Sparks, and email us, sparks at prajnafire.com, with any questions. May all beings benefit. <laughs>